You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. I'm Lisa Cherney. I'm the host of the show. And this is one of our special video-based episodes. And it took me a little while to be ready to do this one because it is about my grief sabbatical. And I feel like I was still sort of kind of marinating in the aftermath of it and, and where I am now. And I always want to share kind of like up to the minute of where I am now. And so many people told me when they heard about my grief sabbatical that it meant a lot to them, that it gave them permission, that, you know, that there was something that, you know, was, I don't know, like it just seemed to be very meaningful to people in a way that showed them like, that that's even possible. And I am so grateful for that. And I want you all to know that it wasn't super easy. It wasn't like, I was like, oh, I'll just take five weeks off, you know, no big deal. Like, oh no, I came up against all my own scarcity beliefs. And, you know, if I'm not doing stuff in my business and, you know, maybe my clients are going to like hate me, which of course they totally like the opposite, you know, adored me even more for taking what I needed, but just like all the stuff that we go through, you know, all of our like beliefs and stories of, you know, really always why we don't do things that feel good to us. You know, it's kind of like what our GFR commandments are all about is how we get in our own way. And so I could kind of apply all of those to my grief sabbatical. <sighs> so I documented Let's see how many here I have in my notes, 26 things that I did during my grief sabbatical. And so I'm just going to share, I'm just going to share them. It sounds like a lot and, and maybe it will be a lot, but I listen for <laughs> listen as much as you want or as much as you're interested in. There's a large variety of things and things that like none of this I expected. The only thing I expected to do was to cry at some point. <laughs> I kind of expected that. But other than that, I really did not know what to expect and I tried to allow it to be whatever it was going to be, which actually was hard at first. So yeah, it was hard at first. I could tell you that for the first two weeks, so I took off in September, there's five weeks. So I took off five weeks and I took off, like I worked maybe like 20% of the level that I usually work. So all I did predominantly was group calls for my unmentor 
pods. And for, and most people that are in a mentor program, they also get one-on-one time with me. I did not do any one-on-one time in September. And they also get access to me on Voxer, which is like a walkie-talkie kind of app, kind of like a WhatsApp type thing. And I pretty much respond on a day-to-day basis. And I stopped that for the month of September. And the thing that helped me feel like okay to do that was I just gave everybody an extra month on their on their membership, which... I mean, it's like looking back, I had so much resistance and, you know, one of my dear friends, colleagues, coaches, somebody that I've, you know, has been a client of mine, Rhonda Renee, I'll give her a little shout out, really helped me to like declutter all of the bullshit in my head. And, you know, like, I didn't even think like, I was like worried about being out of touch with my clients, not really just for me, because I love being connected and knowing what's going on. And I was like, can't like not be connected for five weeks. And she's like, well, what if you just did the group calls? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like I had not even thought of that. And that just shows you like when you are creating a story or, or creating like resistance to doing something, especially if it's something that, you know, like you really need like a break of some sort, or, you know, you need to let go of something, even though it's successful or whatever. We just have so much that we have to get over in our brains to, and our hearts and our spirit, right. To like do it. And so talking it through with her, like really helped a lot. And, you know, and ultimately, you know, I have a low tolerance for not feeling good, which is why I let go of my seven figure business in 2014, within four months of realizing that I was not having fun, you know, because I just can't fake it. I just can't suck it up. And that's getting like the, the time that's being able to suck it up time is like down to days, I think sometimes. So it was in July that I was like, at the end of July. So my mom died at the end of May after an eight month (sighs) journey that followed a car accident. And she wound up a partial quadriplegic for the last eight months of her life. And she was a lifetime athlete. So for her, it was huge. It was just so huge. And I watched her go through this amazing transformation from like, she couldn't even move her arms, you know, for a while. She was like trapped in her bed and she said, I'm trapped in my body. I'm trapped in my body. And, you know, and it was probably that way for a couple months until she found her way to living. And then of course she got more mobility, never really regaining being able to feed herself, use her cell phone, like none of that groom herself, She never regained that, but she was able in the end to wave, you know, and hug, even though she really couldn't fully use her hands. And she did learn to walk again, never fully independently, but she, that was one thing that was really important to her. So there was a lot of trauma, both to her and to, of course, everyone in the family. And ultimately what wound up bringing her to the end of her life was cancer that she had had the year before the accident that came back, which she knew. She knew it was back when she was recovering from the accident, but it was like, she couldn't focus on anything but her recovery. So I share that just to say in any loss, you know, I'm not definitely not an expert. And I've come to really understand that all losses are different depending on the circumstances around them. You know, we had two weeks from the time that my mom 
said, I don't want surgery. I don't want any more treatment. Like I'm ready. We had two weeks with her, one of the weeks where she was communicating and the other week where she was not. That was such a blessing. And I know people don't get to say goodbye. Their loved ones die in tragic circumstances. Like there's so many things. And so all of that played into my grief process is playing into my grief process. And so you'll hear me talk about some of that when I go through my 25 things. Yeah. So that was the situation. I took those five weeks. I did maybe like anywhere from two to four things in a whole week during those five weeks. And the last week I did nothing because I'd already blocked it off for vacation. And I'm so glad I did it because that's what I was saying. At the end of July, I knew I needed a break. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just doing it in August. You know, it's the end of the summer and no one's around anyway. And I was feeling rushed. It was feeling forced. And so, you know, that low tolerance and not feeling good, like it really was up for me. Ultimately, I decided and it felt more peaceful to just shoot for September, give my clients plenty of time for letting them know I was going to be gone, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how, you know, how all that went down. So I have prepared this list for my clients. Because I, you know, one of the things that I love about my work and just who I am that I really acknowledge what's really of a, a huge value for me is sharing what I go through and what I learn along the way. And so people are accustomed to asking me, you know, what did you learn? And what was what was the biggest thing? And, you know, what what did you wish you did differently? And like just that people, and they know that I'll tell them. So I just like brainstormed like this list so that you know, I could share that with my clients. And so, of course, an extension of that is you all, the GFR show listeners. And so I do want to share this with you. And my intention in sharing some of these really intimate, personal things is that it serves you in some way. It gives you permission to do these things. It gives you permission to take time off. It gives you permission to allow your grief to be whatever it's going to be. A grieving entrepreneur is a, I think, a particular breed, <laughs> if you will, because, you know, we're in charge, you know, of our business and we drive it. And when we are going through something as profound as recovering from a loss, it impacts everything. And I don't see enough people talking about grief. You know, Anderson Cooper recently created a new podcast. The name is escaping me, but if I'm sure if you just search up Anderson Cooper in your podcast app, it'll come up. His mom was Gloria Vanderbilt, and he decided to do a podcast about his process after her loss and, you know, letting go of her apartment and going through her things. And it's so good. And then he interviews some other people about loss. And he, he too said, like, we just don't talk about this enough. And it's such a universal thing that we all deal with. So, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of, you know, meant to talk about things that not everybody talks about. You know, I've talked about non-monogamy. <laughs> I've talked about some of our unconventional parenting, you know, approaches. And I've talked about, you know, woo-woo spiritual, you know, things. I've talked about my letting go of dieting and my internal fat phobia and my unconscious racial bias. And like, I've just, I talk about 
things that not a lot of people talk about. So I hope maybe this also inspires you to talk more about your grief, because I think it's so important for us to acknowledge this universal journey and, you know, that it is part of our evolution. Okay. And I have some visual aids over here, some things that I want to like hold up to the camera. So I'll be doing that as well. So this is a candle that I have on my desk and I light it every day and it sits next to a photo of my mom and I say, hi mom. And I light the candle and I don't know, it seems it's like a mindful moment. It's I don't know. I feel like a lot of the things that I'm going to share from my list are about integrating the grief, the presence of grief in my life and acclimating it to being like my new normal. And for me, like not seeing pictures or, you know, like that hasn't been the way that I've done it. Although I know people just moving the candles like in my peripherally. I know some people that's what they need to do for a while and that's totally okay. I have gone from like having a picture of my mom in the bathroom, like near my sink so that I can like look at it when I'm getting ready. I have moved that one to the bedroom, you know? And so that's something it's like, okay, I don't need, you know, I've gone from having her on my, you know, screensaver on my phone times where I just really feel like I need to see her and be with her. And, and then there's times where that's not what I need. So I invite you to look, you know, what's there for you in terms of your integration of your grief. Okay. So scrolling to the top of my list here. So this is some of what my grief sabbatical looked like, some of the things that I did. So I watched old videos of my mom. Oh my God, I'm so fucking grateful for the iPhone and video and how like so readily available it is and so healing. Oh my God. To watch videos of, you know, strawberry picking when Bella was seven years old and my mom making funny faces and jokes, you know, and the strawberry farm and just like so many, so many things. So I definitely watched videos of my mom, you know, it reminds me of scenes in movies where, you know, the person is like, puts the, you know, the literal like film canisters and they're like in the, you know, living room, like watching, you know, old movies, somewhat similar to that, but really integrated into my weeks. And I can't always do it because not can't, I'm not always feeling up to feeling the feelings because of course it will trigger, but it doesn't always trigger sadness actually. So that's been kind of interesting to notice, like, you know, looking at pictures and listening to things. Sometimes it brings me joy and warms my heart. And I'm so grateful. And sometimes it just is, is no bueno. <laughs> I'm not really in it. I'm not. It's interesting. I'm noticing my language. Like I'm not really in a place to deal with it, but I'm choosing not to go there, you know, at that particular time. So during my grief sabbatical, I did watch, you know, lots of videos of my mom. I also had fun. She had a huge costume jewelry collection. And at her celebration of life, we gave away her jewelry to mostly the women that attended. And this was an idea that I had actually when my mom was dying and I asked her about it and she thought it was a great idea. So that was kind of fun to be able to be present enough in her dying process to ask her about that. 
And so I did spend some of my grief sabbatical time picking out pieces and writing notes. My mom is from New Jersey, actually Brooklyn originally, and New Jersey for most of her life, and lived in California the last 10 years of her life. But so lots of friends that couldn't be at her celebration of life. And so I picked out pieces and I wrote hand, hand wrote notes and I, you know, packaged them up and and shipped them. And some people were so grateful. And that was, that was like therapeutic for me. It felt really good to be able to take the time to do something like that. I also printed out new photos of my mom, got new frames, kind of like, you know, I even like, I have this one I have this one of her in the hospital and there's something about her smile in this photo. I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like she's like so happy to be alive, even though obviously she's post spinal surgery, she's in a wheelchair, but there's just something about that one. And so like, I had this one on my desk and I also I have tons of photos now of her around the house, which really feels good. And having the ones of her in the hospital smiling helps me to integrate that as a traumatic time because I have so many really wrenching memories that like a photo like that's been really therapeutic to me. But it's like for Greg and Bella, I put it in a prominent place in the house and they didn't like that one because for them, it's like, I don't want to remember grandma like that. I, I feel like that's what their their issue is. But for me, it was an important part of the integration process. So I also kind of in the spirit of of printing new photos and framing them, there's a a glass cabinet in my living room. That's where I sit in my favorite spot on the couch. It's like an L-shaped couch. And of course, I'm like right in the corner. It's like my spot. And there is a glass cabinet that's like right in my line of sight. And I realized that like I like it was funny. It was like fifth week of my sabbatical that that week that I didn't work at all. I had watched a lot of fucking TV, y'all. That's one of my things on here. I'll jump ahead. I watched a lot of TV. Particularly, I wound up watching a show that my mom really liked that I never watched when she was alive. And it takes place in New York. And so, I don't know, there was just something kind of, I don't know, divinely orchestrated about watching the show. And they have lots of seasons. And I was, but I never noticed the freaking cabinet that I was staring at the whole time. So I wound up printing out photos of like, I kind of like almost made like a little memorial in the cabinet and I got these really cool, sparkly, they're very sparkly frames. (laughs) You can see this one's purple. And this is a picture of my sister and I and my mom. I have a younger sister. She's five years younger. So I have this photo in there. I have the photo of her with the neck brace. And then I have this other photo of a very special memory. So this one is at my daughter's musical, spring musical, last March, end of March. My mom came home from six months in the hospital and rehabs. And the timing of her being home was really a miracle. And she was able to see my daughter Bella's play Matilda and she was the lead Matilda and my nephew he's the one with the hat he's also in it so she got to see both her grandkids in the musical and it was just amazing that she was able to be there it was a miracle that the timing worked and that she was actually able to navigate being in the wheelchair and sitting for a couple hours and there was just so much 
So I have that one in the cabinet too. So I made like, a, I guess kind of like a memorial. Now when I'm sitting on the couch and there's that cabinet that's like right in my line of sight. I have all these great uh, pictures of my mom, which is really great. Oh, okay. So remember how I said I watched lots of TV. So the first two weeks of my sabbatical, I judged it. And I felt like really I was worried the sabbatical wasn't going to work. How totally burnt out, exhausted, emotional, like total empty cup kind of feeling like that that wasn't going to go away. And so, of course, I wanted to spend the time wisely, whatever the fuck that means. And I love watching TV on any like normal circumstance, because for me it is a way that I turn off my brain. It's a healthy vice as far as I'm concerned. So the thing on my list says, and it's number four, by the way, says stopping to indulge flashbacks that can be triggered anytime by anything and feeling all that comes up and seeing it as a second chance to feel the feelings I didn't get to feel during those traumatic moments. So there was a couple times that, and some of this happened during TV, and this is where I feel like it was healthy for me in the way that I went about the TV, because if I got triggered, I shut the fucking TV off and I go feel the feelings, which took a lot of discipline. And there were scenes, scenes that were in hospitals. There were scenes of, you know, people in, you know, wheelchairs or learning to walk again, or there was end of life situations. And there was times where I saw like flashes of different scenes from my mom's time. Like there was some horrific times during her journey where she actually found out she needed a second spinal surgery because the first one failed and she didn't want it. And she was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't want it. For like a week, we were like, what the fuck do we do? Because she's not, she wasn't in any terminal, you know, end of life situation. Like there was, you know, there was like, you know, I'm like researching shit online about how to die with dignity. Like, I'm like, is this really going happening right now? It was horrible. And then I mustered up like every experience, every coaching and experience and safe space holding experience that I've ever had led me up to the point of supporting my mom in, you know, making a decision to have the second surgery. It was touch and go. And so like that, (laughs) there's so much, there's so much trauma with that. And so I, I didn't, wasn't even cognizant to all that that was in there that needed to really be processed. So I did that. So number five is I meditated. I've done transcendental meditation for 12 years or so. In fact, the year that my business went to seven figures was the year that all of like my systems, internal and external, broke down. And I knew I needed another way to de-stress other than going on vacation, which never really does what we wanted to do. And then I paid for my mom as part of my team. So I don't know if y'all know that she worked for me for a long time. She's always been my roadie. Like she's always gone with me on speaking gigs, worked the back of the room like a master. And she even was a coach at my company when I had six figure university back in 2014. I paid for her to do transcendental meditation training. And so I did, I just did a lot of meditating and really tried to be mindful as much as I could in my day to day when I wasn't watching a lot of fucking TV. That's number six. Watching a lot of fucking TV, it says. (laughs) Number seven is spending time with my dad, a new normal without my mom. Even like getting used to casually referring to her and talking about her 
and hearing him getting into his new life without her and even being happy about some of the benefits of not having her, which I'm just going to say it because that is a reality. When somebody passes, sometimes it's a relief. (laughs) You know, sometimes it creates as a catalyst for a whole new, new chapter for the person who's left behind. And so, you know, spending time with my dad was really a big part of my grief sabbatical. Number eight, spending time with my sister and just talking about our grief journey. I'm so blessed that my dad is less than a mile down the street. So my parents are less than a mile down the street. And my sister is like five miles. So we spent time together. Not a lot, y'all, because I didn't want to go anywhere or do anything. This is like a really big point. I don't know if this is on my list somewhere, but I was a hermit introvert. And my husband, who is a big introvert, was like so happy that I was able to relate to him more because I literally, when people would ask me if I wanted to do something, I would feel a little anxious because I was so not wanting to do anything. I probably got invited to about four different retreats, transformational type retreats. And people heard that I was on my sabbatical offering me invitation, you know, offering invitations to come. And, you know, and it was amazing. People were feeling into what they thought might serve me. And I did not want to go anywhere. (laughs) So I did spend time with my dad and my sister, but it definitely was sparingly. And it wasn't, I don't think for the first two weeks, I even went left the house. So I just wanted to say that. I have a good handful of journals from my mom. She wasn't a huge journaler, but she had gratitude journals and she had journals from when she went through her grief when when her sister died. And and so I've been reading them. Nothing too, nothing really too like we were very close. We're close, meaning we really shared intimate things with each other really authentic with each other. So there wasn't, I wasn't like, I I don't feel like I'm, you know, like invading her privacy or anything, but it's just so amazing to read these journals and hearing her talk about being grateful for her granddaughter, Bella, and, and also hearing her own journey with her. Like she did so much work on herself the last like 10 or 15 years of her life in learning to really be okay and she was a, she'll tell you she was a really big people pleaser and didn't know how to say no to people. And she did a lot of work with that. So there was just journals with that. And it was just amazing. It is amazing to have those, those things from her. Oh gosh, y'all. I read notes that she wrote to me. And I, I mean, they're some of my most precious belongings right now. I even had this like really cool experience where I was led to find an old journal. So I was doing some meditation and I was really intending to connect with my mom. And I felt like I was. And I, you know, I have done some channeling and stuff. And I felt like I was connecting with her, not super conversational, but just like, I can't, it's hard to explain, like themes and, just a feeling in my heart and I just really felt it. And then there was this flash of this green journal with like paisley on the, like the board, like the binding of this journal. 
And it just popped into my head. Like I literally could like see it in my head, like right over here. And I was like, oh, well, I kind of vaguely remember a journal like that. And so when I was done with my meditation, I was like, okay, I'll go and find that journal sometime. And then I got like, no, like find it now, find it now. And I went and I went to this cabinet where I have some of my old journals and there, and I'm going through the cabinet. And I'm like, this is really weird. Like, what if I don't find this journal? And there it was, this green journal with this paisley binding. And I opened it up and it was a journal that my mom gifted me after I graduated college, before I was going on a Europe tour. And there was a note from her, like on the opening pages of the journal. And the date of the note is May 27th, 1993. And she died on May 27th. So that was so freaky interesting. And the note was like, I just want you to be happy in your life. I'm so proud of you. You're an amazing young woman. And oh my God, I could just cry just thinking about it. Oh, so that was a pretty profound experience. I've had multiple like bigger experience of feeling my mom's presence, songs, very special songs playing at certain special times, things like that. But this was off the charts. So I have notes from my mom and those have been really, really comforting. I'm so grateful I have them. We also, when she was in the hospital, we're up to number 11, if you're interested, we recorded audio when she was in the hospital. When my daughter said goodbye, we recorded it. I had my mom, my mom liked to say, sleep delicious. It was like, I don't even know where she she got it, but she would tell people sleep delicious. And when she would do events with me, she would say to the attendees, sleep delicious. So I had her say that and I have that on audio and I... I play it not all the time because, you know, depending on just depending on how it hits me, but it is such a precious thing to have her voice. I just I'm honest, so fucking glad for technology to have video and voice recordings and all the prolific pictures. And it's really amazing. So I listen to audios. I oh, okay. so I have her ashes in my house and. It was just something that happened and turned out to be like they were supposed to be at my house for right now. And they're in my closet right over there. I have a walk-in, like a huge walk-in closet in my office that has like a lot of, it's kind of, it's not just like storage. It's, you know, there's sacred things and special things. And so I have her ashes in there and I, uh, hi mom. (laughs) And I created like an, uh, kind of an altar with pictures and things that she gave me and stuff. So I I did that. And so something I want to add here is that I said this already that I didn't really know, like enough, none of these things I did were planned. And I want to add that the way that the, the approach to the whole five weeks was to follow my guidance as to how to spend each day how to spend each moment. And I think that was part of my healing was like, I just needed like just space and just to like have the time be my own and to follow my inclinations, my inspirations, my guidance, my like, you know, I would honestly, I would like watch some TV and then I'd be like, Oh my God, I want to, I want to print out pictures and frame them. And then I go watch TV and then I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I really want to go see my dad. And like, it, you know, TV was like the main anchor, but I, I really, really 
did my best to follow what was there. And so all of these things were spontaneous, very, very spontaneous. I talked to my mom out loud. I still do this. I When I light the candle, I say, hi, mama. And it's funny, I didn't call her mama during all of our lives, but when she was in the hospital, whenever I would arrive and I was like opening the door and she couldn't see me yet, I would say, hi, mama. And so it's kind of a a precious thing to say. So I light the candle. I say, hi, mama. I talk out loud to her. I find that really comforting. <laughs> so number 15, is says laying in bed as much and as long as I want to. Oh, I did that a lot. And uh, yeah, I did that a lot. And I have tried to like, stay open to bringing as many of these things into my like post sabbatical life. So I allow, like I make sure to have in my schedule a couple of days a week that I don't have something first thing in the morning. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so having extra time to lay in bed, it feels so luxurious to me. So I have tried to do that more and more. Number 16, spending time with my best friend who also lost her mom the same month. Oh my God, this is some a very, very dear friend that I actually recently reconnected with. And we kind of feel like our moms helped us reconnect. And shout out to Natalie. I love you so much. And I can't even believe that we're both going through this mom grief thing together. And it's been so huge for me, like to just be able to text someone and be like, you know, saw my mom, someone who had my a car like my mom's today and was sobbing on the freeway or just different things that p- some people might not understand that are not going, going through it. You know, saw a hummingbird today and really, you know, felt like it was my mom saying hi, or, you know, just like, oh, I wish I can call my mom. And so that's been like, oh, so precious to have makes me cry. <laughs> Okay. Mm-mm-mm. Ah, <laughs> number 19, channeling my mom's green thumb by trying to keep the plants alive <laughs> that I got from her celebration of life. Well, I can officially tell you I failed. <laughs> oh my God. We just yesterday, I tossed a plant that just, I'm just, it's just don't have her green thumb as much as I try to channel it. So we stick with succulents from right now, but there was just something sacred. I think about that time and nurturing that plant. 20, I listened to music that I know my mom really loved. That was fun. And I could just hear her. I could almost hear her bad singing. Sorry, mom. I could almost hear her bad singing when I was listening to the music. I already talked about that. I watched a TV show that my mom loved. Yes, that I never watched before. Oh, and I would imagine comments she would make about it as if we were watching together. Sometimes I just really could hear her saying like, I don't know. Isn't that nice? Or I don't know, something. So number 22 of things I did during my grief sabbatical is expressing deep gratitude for being alive and for all my blessings. And I actually recently did a Facebook post about this. I really am present to the connection between between grief and gratitude. And almost like grief is a anecdote to gratitude or somehow not cancels it out, but it's like healing. It's healing for grief to be in gratitude. And because my mom suffered 
so much during the last eight months of her life, it has me be really grateful to be able-bodied. Like I could walk and run and dance and, you know, I can go to the bathroom by myself and do my hair and, you know, I'm not in pain. And I don't know, there's just so many basic things that I think I'm just so much more grateful for than I was before. And so I'm really trying to make that an ongoing practice not and and taking it deeper. So y'all, I'm not just talking about writing three things in your gratitude journal, like, like a deeper, deeper practice or a deeper, deeper awareness, whatever that means for you. 23, I purged a lot of things from my home, especially things that kind of had faded into the background, like boxes in the garage, like even though we don't keep a lot of stuff, there still was probably a half a dozen boxes in the garage that I hadn't gone through that were, you know, old, that were business related or just like from moving, you know, three different houses ago, you know, there was just, you know, there was cook like a whole cabinet of cookbooks in my kitchen. I do not cook. And when I do, I look it up on the internet, <laughs> so, like things that had fallen into the background. Um, so a lot of purging, it felt so good. There is nothing like filling my car up with stuff to take to Goodwill. I just love that, doing that. And there was a particular theme around like renewing and refreshing things. So I actually have another like list here of things that I wrote down because I realized that, I realized that like there was this thing going on of like, okay, this is like so funny, but this is so basic. But so this water bottle, with the GFR squad <laughs> sticker on it goes with me everywhere. This hydro flask that my friend Lisa Sasevich gave me. And I had a different cap on it. That was like a, just a flip up kind of straw thing that you just kind of grabbed it and opened it up and it leaked. And I had it forever. And something during my grief sabbatical, there was like, like I was noticing some things for the first time that I had been tolerating. And that's one of the GFR commandments, right? Is don't compromise. Number one, don't compromise. And the confession question is, what am I tolerating? I think there was during my grief sabbatical, somehow, partially, I think it was being in caregiver mode for eight months. I just like neglected a lot of things in my life and they just weren't important, right? And then during the sabbatical, then I had space for these things. So I got this new like press it and it flipped open top on my water bottle. This thing goes with me everywhere I go. So it's like, <laughs> it's like a life changing kind of refresh thing, upgrade. And there were so many, I have this whole list of things. I transitioned to a new task organizer, like to-do list organizer for my personal and business stuff. And that's like, it's changes everything. Like on a day-to-day moment-to-moment basis, I have a new system that I'm not really big into technology. So like I'll grab onto something and then I won't change it forever. <laughs> so my my husband is the tech guy. And so he shared one system with me like 10 years ago and I never changed from it. And so I I updated it. Like I, I had to re-enter all the stuff in the new system, but I had space for it and I was willing to do it. And I mean, I and I have I have a standing desk now, which again, another thing, like a really foundational thing. Like I freaking love it. 
and it's super easy to use and it just changes my day-to-day in my office. I made, put those photos in that cabinet. I cleaned out my wallet. I changed my everyday lipstick. I organized our laundry room with labels. I cleaned out some work boxes from the garage that were from old work things that needed to be purged. I got new bras, ladies, right? I mean, talk about changing your life. I got a new footstool for under my desk. I changed the wallpaper on my phone to something that was butterflies. It reminds of my mom. Upgraded my hormone protocol (laughs) that I had been on for like six years. Like just stuff that I just don't have time to pay attention to. I got some new clothes. What else did I do? Oh, (laughs) and this, honestly, I wanted to share this list because it's so funny. Like I got a new loofah for my shower, but it is like those things, like the loofah was like, so like falling like apart and like, you know, they stretch out or whatever. The theme that I realized is that it's being mindful of my environment, being really present and conscious about the things that I use, the the day-to-day comforts of my life, the the way that I treat myself and the things that I have around me. So like there was this big sort of purging and renewal thing that was happening the whole month. And again, I didn't plan on it, but it is what happened. And I'm going to add this here because the purging also started before my sabbatical. So one of my favorite spiritual authors is Tosha Silver, and we'll put a link in the show notes for this. I should say there is a link in the show notes for this. And she wrote a book called It's Not Your Money. And it is very much about surrender and being in flow around money and trusting the divine plan. And I had started going through this book with Natalie. I gave it to her. And then she's like, maybe we do it together. (laughs) And it was so perfectly timed because we started doing it a couple months before the sabbatical. And part of the, it's a weekly process. And one of the steps is decluttering and purging. And her philosophy, Tosha's philosophy, is that, that that creates room for new abundance to come in. So I had already started doing that. And it just kind of carried on through the sabbatical, but also with all these other sort of refresh my environment, you know, things. Okay, 24, looking at lots of photos of mom at various ages and doing fun things. That was so healing. 25, regular sessions with my client who is a medium and getting to hear from my mom while also learning to strengthen my own connection with her through symbols and signs. Mom's favorite is butterflies, followed by hummingbirds and angels. Whatever your personal belief system is, I do believe that we can communicate with people on the other side. And my client, Kristen, I think I'll put her information in the show notes too, is who's a former lawyer and gifted medium. And even when my mom was dying and my mom and I, my mom and I were saying, she was like, I'm going to haunt you. <laughs> When I like, she's like, I like, she really believed that she would be able to connect with us after she died. She's like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what, you know, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I, that brought me so much comfort. And I really leaned into Kristen. And then 
after she died, I was like, I want to work on my connection with her. Like what I realized what I, when I started, I thought it was, I want to like hear her voice and stuff, but really what has even brought me more comfort is the signs, seeing the signs and not taking the signs for granted and really having my eyes wide open. And that has brought me a lot of comfort. And the messages that Kristen has brought through have been really, really comforting. And so my mom, like, I'm still your mother. And <laughs> just funny things like that. Like one of the things I wrote down. So I write them down and I'll keep it by a picture of her. So this is one of her messages. And that's one that I'm really been meditating on a lot lately. And it says, stop worrying. It's just not that big a deal. Tell everyone, Mama Phyllis. <laughs> stop worrying. Stop worrying. It's just not that big a deal. Tell everyone. Oh. So whatever your belief system is, I believe in it and it brings me a lot of comfort. So that story of seeing that journal, finding that letter was just like, you can't fucking make that up. You just can't. I mean, the date of the letter was the date she died. Just can't make that up. So I'm doing my best to like really be with that. And yeah, that's super comforting to me anyway. And the last thing on my list is crying, which is the only thing that I knew for pretty damn sure that I was going to do was cry. And I surrendered to the tears and I even like at times really fostered them because I felt like I hadn't had a lot of space to do that. You know, in many ways, I was a key person for family and friends through this whole process. And for my mom, I honestly feel like, I honestly feel like all of my experience holding safe space for my clients and coaching and mentor unmentoring and facilitating and orchestrating and all like, I feel like it all came to be of service for this process. And I know that I was a great comfort to my mom in her final days and my dad and, you know, and then we did this huge, we used Caring Bridge. I'll put the link here in the show notes for that too. Caring Bridge, which is a website that you can create to communicate to loved ones when somebody's going through illness. We created one to announce that she was in the process of dying and gave people a chance to write messages. And I was the one who orchestrated all of it. And there were hundreds of messages posted. And I read them to my mom when she was in the hospital and conscious that first week. Every single one read to her. So it was like a living, it was a living celebration of life. And I'm so proud of myself for doing that, being able to do it. And I know that holding all that energy and all that space like is what necessitated a sabbatical in many ways because you know it was like my chance you know to fall apart and grieve and do all that stuff so I know you know I know you know what I mean many of you are play a similar role in your life with your families so so that is the download <laughs> of what my grief sabbatical was like, the things that I wound up doing, the things that I learned along the way, and many things that I am feeling are carrying through to my new life 
definitely maintaining a lot of space in my schedule. I have an hour or more between off, you know, things that I do, really being mindful of the clients that I bring into my world and noticing a, a, a new type of client that is just, you know, that is very self-aware, very ready for transformation, just like someone that I'm not really holding up so much as just holding, you know, space for and coaches, other, any of them could, I could be their client too. So I could just see that there's a transformation happening. I'm sure it's going to have ripple affects far many months and years to come in terms of how it affects my work. Liberation is a theme that is coming more and more into focus for me. And the ultimate liberation of the liberation of our body. And my mom's obviously liberated from her body and her suffering. And I'm liberated from my body in many respects through my choice to stop dieting and and really learn to love and accept my body and all of that 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 means and liberation liberation in our business having it feel good having it figured out in a way and being fully expressed and ah liberation so the love fest for liberated leaders is something that i've been doing that my mom attended in may that was fucking unbelievable i had it scheduled the friday of like that first week And I had an intuition to not cancel it and I didn't. And then I wound up doing it. And then my mom attended from her deathbed. She came on video. Like I could not have imagined that in a million years. And that was priceless to have her attend that event. And so the Love Fest for Liberated Leaders is is a significant thing. We'll put a link for that in the show notes too. I'm doing it again, December 9th, depending on when you listen to this, you could attend but you could also always go there to get signed up for the next one. But liberation is, that'll be growing. Sort of the next phase after GFR is liberation. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, okay. So thank you for listening to me and receiving my grief sabbatical journey. And I would love to hear from you, period. I'd love to hear from you, how this might've landed for you, how this served you. Yeah. You could DM me on Facebook. You could send me an email. Yeah. I just love hearing from people and I do personally respond to everything. And yeah, we'll put it, we'll put an email address here in the show notes as well. Oh, well, thank you. Make sure you have your GFR commandments. If you don't have them yet, we'll put a link for that as well. Thank you for sharing this with whoever you think might need to hear it or see it. And until next time, big hugs. Thanks for listening.